0: We return to
1: Oilers Now with
0: Bob Stoffer.
1: Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that.
0: D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio, 630-10. All right, welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer Brendan Escott with you. Hope you're having a terrific Thursday. Guests on the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply saving a night in the town, every meal's an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. It's the greatest steak you've ever had. 99.90 Jasper Avenue, Roos Chris Edmonton, the 99th Roost Chris opened up uh, in North America. As uh, promised, uh, we're going to hook up with a guy we have on the show, but once every three weeks to a month, uh, he grew up in these parts, played for the Canadian Athletic Club at one time, willed himself to an NHL career. We're actually going to talk about a couple of the minor pro teams that he played with. Longtime Washington Capitals analyst, Alan May. Al, how you doing? Doing great, Bob. Great to be back. Absolutely. Are you in Texas? Are you in Minnesota, or are you back in D.C.? I was in D.C. the other day, but I'm
1: back in Texas until pretty much the start of the season until, I guess, the last, first or second last preseason game.
0: Now, uh, uh, Alberta just got uh, clamped down pretty good, as you're well aware, because I know you follow things here. Uh, it does allow private businesses to have an exemption uh, in which they can go ahead and uh, it, the orders have already delineated sort of their plan of attack uh, into you know getting fans involved and back in the games and uh, fans needing to have a proof of a vaccination or a, a negative test in the 48 hours uh, before the game is being played. Uh, is, is there a difference between how things are being handled right now in DC or how they were handled in Minnesota during the summer versus Texas?
1: You know what? Everyone is just in all three of those places. It's been about respect and, and doing the right thing. And I think last week when I was in DC, I saw a lot more masks than I've seen in Texas, but it's, you know, they had a surge there yep. and they've mandated in DC and Maryland that you have to wear masks. And then in Texas, Uh, it's been kind of business as usual, and people are getting tested, people are getting COVID, people are taking care of themselves. So, you know, it all depends which news you're listening to. But I think, by and large, in all three of the places that I spend my summer, uh, everyone's been doing what's responsible. And, you know, I I haven't really heard of anyone catching a variant. As I told you before, my ex-wife is a a CNO of an emergency uh, hospital group. And, you know, it's kind of been the same that it's been the entire time, and they've had people coming in who have had double vaccinations that have COVID again, and uh, they've had every different situation there is, but it doesn't seem like they're severe right now with the cases that they've been uh, encountering.
0: And whereas right now, as you're aware, Alberta's going through a, a- Maybe it's tough stretch. Uh, I think we had 24 deaths last year or uh, yesterday uh, to uh, increase uh, the province's totals. Uh, Alberta's still under, I think, under, well, they've got to be under 3,000 uh, since the beginning of it 16 months ago. All right, Al, let's, uh, Bill Daly spoke today. He said that the players will be, I think he said, uh, around 98% vaccinated we, uh, by the time we get started for the regular season. Were you surprised at the fact that there was movement from the NHL, PA. I mean, they've they flat out stated that it's going to be very difficult for unvaccinated players to move around the league. Uh, they're going to be considerably more limited than the vaccinated. Are you surprised by this, that this ended up transpiring in terms of the relationship between the NHL and uh, PA and the NHL?
1: No, I think common sense prevails, is that people have been. You know they they're trying to stay informed, and you know it's really hard with the way the news works now. But you know the players are they're getting a different set of information from the league, uh, which has been a really good one because you saw what we did in Canada last summer with the uh, the two bubble cities. There wasn't one test positive about a 35 over 35,000 tests in that what two and a half three month period. So I think that's been excellent, and that NHL has been following good advice and they've been instructing their players and. The players that have stepped away from it and who haven't been as careful as the others, uh, they've paid a little bit of a price. But I think now everyone realizes common sense. You've just got to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and your family. You don't want to be infecting others. And they have a lot of money at stake
0: as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's? Well, that's part of the reason why, to me, it's like you got a short window there to make some cash. Who's a bigger star right now? in uh in washington alexander ovechkin or lamar jackson who as you know two years ago was the nfl's mvp
1: alexander ovechkin and he will continue to be until he's done playing and it, it, he has taken it there there's no one wearing a lamar jackson jersey in that and those parts uh everyone wears ob number eight it, it, from every walk of life every single day that i'm in dc I see Ovechkin jerseys. I see Ovechkin t-shirts. Uh, Capitals t-shirts, and the Capitals have become the team of that region uh, because of you know how hard they've performed over the years, what they do um, in the community. And uh, Ovechkin's been at an excellent status for, from the day he's got in the league. You know, whether you want to detract from how he plays the game, uh, he's been a superstar in every facet on and off of the ice.
0: And we should qualify the statement. How far is Baltimore from D.C.? Well,
1: it's closer than Calgary is to Edmonton. It's about where Laduke is to Edmonton, but really, it's it's a world away. It's two completely different cities. There's nothing the same about either place. Baltimore's got their football team that's actually been a proud franchise for a long time uh, since they since they came to Baltimore. They've they've had a good footprint. But the Caps play in a normal year, 82 games, one or two rounds in the playoffs, and one year they're lucky enough to, to play four and get the 16 wins to win the Stanley Cup. And that speaks volumes uh, anywhere you're at. When you can win a championship, become the most popular team.
0: And right now, the Washington football team, totally uh, formally named, uh, of course, the Redskins, uh, they, they are not a... a Suffice to say, they're not an overly popular team in that market. Not like they were back during the uh, Joe Gibbs era. Is that right?
1: Well, basically, in the last, they've had 30 quarterbacks since 1992. So, you take that, there's been inconsistency there. The most consistent thing they are is inconsistent. Uh, there's a lot of negative news that comes out of there from the owner on down nonstop. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's not a, a franchise you can be very proud of, uh, you know, at all times because there's always chaos uh, and dysfunction. And it looks like they were going in the right direction. And they've got an incredible leader in Ron Rivera who, who does some great things uh, with his players and his teams. And he looks like he's running the entire operation now. So I think that's
0: a great thing. Yeah, he used to be involved with Carolina. Uh, Daniel Snyder is the owner of the Washington football team. We are joined right now by Al May, who uh, works on the Capitals broadcast, but moves all around the United States and grew up here in Edmonton. Hey, just before we uh, we talk uh, a little bit more about uh, sort of expectations this year, whether or not we think scoring might go up, right? Connor McDavid uh, made a couple comments. He just wants to see the, the game uh, being officiated and not managed. Is that a byproduct he did an availability uh before training camps even started like the the captain skates did you used to skate at uh the U of A back in the day in the late uh, uh or, or in the uh, early, late 80s early 90s yeah i did i skated with kevin
1: primo i would skate with audrey bakewell in the morning, and then i would skate i started skating with kevin uh near the end of my career or no i guess it was like 25 to 30 years old and uh, with that great group of players that was out there all the time, and it was uh, it was spectacular, actually to be able to be out there with the guys over there.
0: So uh, McDavid had a captain skate the other day, did an availability, and spoke, Al, about... He was asked about officiating because he didn't draw a penalty call in the series against Winnipeg. Edmonton lost four one-goal games, three in overtime against the Jets. Hey, the Jets won the series. Uh, you know, Connor Hellebuck had a 950 save percentage. You you and me have privately discussed this on numerous... It's, it's, it's a huge frustration for me. In the fact that, you know, he doesn't, how does that guy not get a single playoff, uh, draw a single power play in the playoffs? It's just, it befuddles me. Uh, The fact that McDavid spoke about it before the season really even got started, (laughs) is that uh, a sign that maybe he's getting more comfortable? And maybe he's trying to sort of politely, um, not challenge the officials, but at least make them aware. You know what I'm saying? Well, watch him get five minor penalties the
1: very first game. So there'll be there'll be some blowback from that, but I think it's great leadership on his part for the entire league. There's so many former players, past uh, and, and, and the current players that want that. The coaches, you know, I, I don't want the managed game. Just like I don't want uh, an umpire who doesn't give you a, a strike when it's supposed to be a strike in baseball. There's way too much leeway in baseball with how some of these guys have personal vendettas against teams. In my eyes. And I honestly believe that I want the game called the way it's supposed to be played. It needs to be more consistent. And it's the number one thing that's complained about season after season. Then the Department of Player Safety is number two. But I think they've got to rein these two things in and have way more consistency. And there's no way that there should have been penalty calls in the favor of the Oilers in the playoffs on connor mcdavid because he is a human highlight machine the only way to stop him is pretty much to cheat very few players in the league can skate like him and i don't think there's one player in the league that can skate backwards and keep up with him when he's going forwards
0: All right, Uh, I wanted to talk a little about your minors' days. Uh, You started off playing in the old Atlantic Coast League. Former Alberta Golden Bear Doug McCarthy was the leading scorer on uh, your team. And very briefly that year, you guys also had a guy by the name of Brian Wells, who, Al, you would have played against in the WHL. He was a nasty like a five-foot-eight, five-foot-nine. Uh, yeah, I remember he got involved in that stick-swinging incident with Martin Orte. Uh What do you remember about the Atlanta Coast Hockey League, and, and how wild was it back in the day?
1: Uh, well, I played with Brian Wells and junior as well, so uh, and I actually got him to come down there after he got kicked out of junior. And it didn't take him too long to get himself in trouble there. He just couldn't control himself. And talk about a guy that screwed up because, he was a legitimate NHL player if he would have been able to control himself, but he was just way too out of control. And he said, he goes, you're, he goes, you're on fire all the time. He goes, I kind of explode. And, uh, I, I, you know, I just couldn't see because I was always envious of how well he skated. He, he's not quite as great as Theo, but he was a great skater. Fabulous physique, tough as they come. Wouldn't let himself be injured, and uh, he just couldn't control himself. But the way the league was played back then, you know, a coach basically just said who was going out, and that's what, this you'll love. And anyone that plays hockey would love this. The roster was nine, four, and two, and believe me, the third line, those guys didn't get any ice time. So my line would roll. Uh, we'd go out with Dougie, and we'd go out. Uh, second line would go. We'd go again. The second line would go again. We might stay out for a double shift, and then maybe the third line would go out. And then you'd kill penalties as a defenseman. You'd kill penalties as a forward. But there was no such thing as real defense. You back-checked. You took the wide guy in the back check. But really, it was all about forechecking, mayhem, crashing in the goalies. And the referees were – I guess they were consistent, and they really didn't call anything until they had to. And – uh and those were fighting majors. And I, I believe I had 52 fights in that league in 42 games, if that's what I played, something like that. Um, but it was it was a – we didn't get paid a lot, but I'll tell you what, the guys loved it. I think I might have had the most fun that I had in all my hockey career was playing down there in those packed arenas. They loved physical play. Uh, they cheered. They didn't sit on their hands. And uh, it was just a fabulous time of my life.
0: How much of a step up was it the next season to play uh, with Boston's farm team in Maine and then eventually uh, on to the Oilers in Nova Scotia?
1: Well, you know, the biggest thing for me was I was always – I worked out like crazy. I worked out hours a day. And then down in that league, my fitness levels and the practices that we had actually were very unique. We did a lot of anaerobic sprint drills throughout the practice. And your cardio and the amount of ice time you got – you know, so we were playing as top guys. We were playing 30 to 40 minutes every game. Full bore. There was no pacing yourself. It was awesome. And when I got up to the American League at the end of the year, I remember I had a bag skate after the second game. I was playing for the Springfield Indians. And, uh, you know, how I got there was a whole stroke of luck, and it was abs- it was phenomenal. You know, I ended up getting me three contract offers out of four games. But I was out skating everyone because of the fitness levels that we had. And then I carried that into Boston the next year, and I but what what it was that the biggest thing when I signed at Boston, uh, especially was Mike Milbury was head and shoulders above every coach I'd ever had as far as positional play, every face off had a had a set play or set circumstances and there was a, the game was a lot there was a lot more learning, and I' learned more in that season than I learned in my entire career. And then, you know, there was just structure. And, you know, what I thought was fun, I had to learn, you know, that you couldn't have the fun anymore. You had to back check and you had to, you know, hook and hold. Like, you know, your life depended on it when you're playing defense. But uh, on offense, it wasn't as wild, and, you know, there was more structure to it. So the biggest thing was learning how to play with structure.
0: See, you put up some, you know, relatively speaking, some offensive numbers along the way, right? Like you scored 18 goals in 79 American Hockey League games in 87-88, and you had 411 penalty minutes. The next season, uh, you're with Cape Breton, and you got a little bit of a look-see with the Oilers as well in 80-89. And just for the uh, listeners out there that are younger, because many of them have not heard of these two guys, but if you could maybe speak to a couple guys, David Haas and Mike Ware, different players, but guys that had over 300 penalty minutes on a team where you didn't have to do all the fighting, did you? No, you know, what? one of the
1: things about that league is that we played, so in the Maritimes, it was Cape Breton's first year. They moved from Halifax. Uh, Quebec moved from Fredericton to Halifax. And the Jets moved into Moncton. So the three teams, we played two times each in preseason. It was kind of a round robin. So we played four preseason games. And then they played 16 times. Oh, man. Each of those teams in the playoffs. So a lot of your penalty minutes were, I basically fought every player in the Quebec Nordiques or the Halifax nordiques whatever the citadel i think they were called back then and it, it was th- those games were just you just wait for it to happen and that would happen that was back in the day they weren't throwing out tens of games like they do now so there was a lot of five minute skirmishes involved and you know five guys fighting every guy gets a five minute penalty they never called it the way they're supposed to uh but you know where is he it was awesome watching him and that Haas was trying to make a name for himself and they would step up so it, it was a lot different than being the, the solo guy most of the time. But it, it was fun, and I, I had a lot of respect, especially for Mike Ware, because he's 6'5", 6'6", about 200 pounds. He had the longest neck of any occupier I'd ever seen, and he'd go toe-to-toe with the best of them, uh, with the guys who were obviously taking something to make their muscles a lot bigger. But uh, just an incredible teammate. And then David Haas was kind of a frustrating guy because, he just couldn't put it together, but I think there was too much pressure on those old first-rounders to produce right away and not learn the game properly.
0: Uh, you mentioned the fact, uh, how, many, how many guys were using hamburger helper back in the day?
1: Well, I, I swear, some of the teams we were playing against, it seemed like the whole team was. And uh, you know that I was 165, 170 pounds at best back then. And you just look at some of these guys, they couldn't move. And they were they were ginormous. They looked like they were 300 pounds, and that was before we had all this Robocop Kevlar hockey equipment. And uh, they they were massive. And you know they weren't very good. They weren't you know. And I always looked at it as a sign that they were that they were terrified to play the game the other way. Uh, honestly, so you know you just we kind of stepped we 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 waded through all of those guys and got our pounds of flesh. And you know us guys made it that we're legit. So it was a lot different uh, of a time, and the games were way more combustible than they are now, certainly.
0: We're joined by Alan May, who played a grand total of 393 games in the NHL, a better part of five seasons with the Washington Capitals, and that's kind of where you you established yourself a bit. I, I want to ask you about a guy that uh, many of our listeners know the story, and it's it's kind of sad, but you were uh, briefly a teammate of John Kordix. Uh, you, you know, you would have seen him probably in town here in the offseason. Um and i i can tell you that like from a in terms of and he didn't he did not throw bombs but he had a i mean he could really chuck left-handed any thoughts uh on john who unfortunately passed away in the early 1990s
1: Well, oh, i absolutely loved the guy he was one of the funniest guys that i've ever known and we didn't you know i would see him we didn't hang out with the same group of guys in the summer but we always skated together And I remember when we all played in the midget league that he was, I believe he led the league in scoring for defense when he was a rushing defense, when he went to Portland and completely changed his game and his persona of who he was as a person. And, uh, you know, he, he played in a very tough time in the national hockey league. And I think he got the best of them and among other things. And then we have, you look at all all the other things that went on with John, but uh, it's funny that I think he only played about seven games. He was there, you know, he started, you know, his habits and the things that were getting in the way, uh, came to the forefront, and the team helped them get. You know, they, they forced them in to get help, and which which was, you know, it was you know necessary. But uh, I think it's seven of the most talked about games ever that he and I played together. And uh, I, I'm not sure where the penalty minute records are and all of that, but people still talk about it to this day. I was at a golf tournament in D.C. on Monday, and people were talking about the two of us playing on the same line for a little while, and it was absolutely hilarious. All the things that one I could talk for hours just about. That stint that he had there, but uh, I I love him. He was a funny guy. He was a good teammate, but uh, that poor guy just had so many demons. Yeah, absolutely.
0: 101 penalty minutes in seven games for Washington that season. Like Al, 101 minutes in seven. That's hard to do. I don't think we ever played one of those games without both of us getting
1: in the fight at the same time and uh it was always something and uh you know some of the stories i can tell you off the air some i can tell you on the air but just what an absolute beauty and i think he know he knew every off color joke there was that it was ever you know that was ever known at that time so he kept us in stitches and uh you know when he was on he was
0: on and when he was moody it it was tough are you ever yeah go ahead i was sorry for interrupting i was gonna ask you today do you still do some games down by the bench
1: you know what? I don't I'm not sure what's going to happen because last year I
0: couldn't do it, but I was doing
1: thirty games a season down there. Okay. And now yeah, I don't know where we're at with the status of everything right now. as I told you last time I was on here, hockey season doesn't start there until about a week before the season goes. You know, no one could really care right now, but once it once they get it going, it'll it'll take right off.
0: I guess we're all uh, here you know where I'm gonna go next. I mean you, you mentioned the fact that John, you know, knew the jokes about how- how dramatically has the verbiage changed on the ice over the last several years because well, to, you, yeah you can't I can't say you know anything what, anymore I, can you I, I haven't heard anything like I used to hear
1: Tom Wilson's really really good at it, but he stays within the, the PC bounds of everything and uh, believe me there were things said back then that are five different suspensions now so. It's uh, it, it's a it's a different world, and guys are they're all m- more mindful. It, just everything's evolved, and everything is better, but it's uh, it's not as funny as it used to be. And I don't think you're allowed to tell people you're going to kill them anymore, but that used to happen ten times a game back then.
0: Yeah, who uh was who the funniest guy? Be- like you know, and you had some healthy rivalries with all you know, the Philadelphias and the the Pittsburghs and teams like that. You know the 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 New York teams, but who 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 made you chuckle the most? Who could just get a barb in or a shot in and really drill a guy, and and even have guys on uh, on that player's own team laughing.
1: Or you know what's funny is I used to have a really good thing going to Ty dome me all the time. It was nonstop. And I'd get him, I'd stop him in his tracks with some of the things I say. And I might see him out after having a beer and he just shake his head. He goes, "You got me. He goes, I, I had no comeback. But you look at, there were other guys too. Uh, you know what? Brian Noonan was a guy that used to say things. And I, you know, Scott Mellenby was pretty funny out there. Uh, Craig Berube, I think only knew one word. Um, you know, there, there's, there were just different things going on. And, you know, but the, big, the biggest thing is whatever Dave Brown said was scary. So, you know, I always, I always look back at that. But there, and then Dino Cicerelli as a teammate, you know, because he was always in like some off ice trouble. And guys would give it to him, but he always had a better comeback than they sent at him. So it, it was uh, a different world. You know, I didn't play against Matthew Barnaby enough, but you could hear him. You just couldn't understand what he was saying all the time. And then, of course, there's uh, Essa Tikkanen. He spoke Tikkanese, and no one, including himself, knew what he was saying. So he was he was probably one of the all-time best, but no one, if they could ever decipher what he said, it, it would probably go down in history as the all-time greatest chirps ever.
0: So if Dave Brown said, I'm going to kill you, you actually
1: believed it. You actually believed it. And then, you know, you make sure you got your adrenaline going in case when it came time to drop the buzz, you were ready. But uh, he was probably, when I played, I'd say he was the most terrifying guy. I, I wasn't scared of Ty Domi, uh, but I was always very aware of where Dave Brown was uh, and what type of mood he was in. Because uh, you, in my opinion, when I was playing for that brief for that time, he, he was the, the scariest player in the
0: National Hockey League. Yeah. Al, uh, thank you for sharing some stories with us, okay? We'll touch base in a few weeks. All right. Take care. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That is Alan May, longtime uh, NHLer, and he's uh, worked on the Capitals broadcast for uh, the last. Uh, several years. Bob Stoffer and Brendan Escott with you. 12.56 in Edmonton. We'll take a two-minute timeout. Come right back on Oilers Now. Hi, this is Mike
1: Smith from your Edmonton Oilers and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on
0: 630 Chet. 12.57 in Edmonton. The Edmonton Oilers last year tied for 7th in team save percentage in the National Hockey League. You can text us at any time on the Ashley Fine Floors text line at 780-496-0063. The voice from the past, the chiseler out of Las Vegas, says, Bob, I won't be pragmatic or myopic in any form. It's completely clear I don't have command throughout this text. Today's show, minus the chaos and the dysfunction, it's been a real highlight of weeks, Bob, lineups. Uh, We previously discussed this before. Alan May Vermeer, a real testament to authenticity. A real beauty, a funny guy. Love it. Uh, Bob, is it true? Rumor has it, you fought and outskated everybody back in the day with the Strathcona Warriors. Um, and uh, the Chisler adds, I, I did skate uh, with Kortik, uh, a, a couple uh, during a couple summers. Uh, well, you were a goalie, Chisler. They were firing pucks on you, that's why. Uh, did I outfight and outskate everybody back in the day with the Strathcona Warriors? Uh, probably not. We had a couple guys that were better. Brad Moline Arnold Cullum, were both better. And Saint Albert had like eight guys that were better. They used to destroy us every game. Brendan, when you were growing up playing hockey in Kamloops, who used to crush you? Uh nobody that ever made it anywhere, that's for certain. Kelowna, guys in Kelowna would crush me. Yeah, but, like, who had the best team? Because when I was, you know, I'm a 66, so when I was growing up, St. Albert had a, they had, like, they had Viveros, and they had Todd Ewan, and Carnelli, and Hoggett came up and played some, like, they used to just smoke us. So, like, we were lucky to get two, you know, get three goals in a game it was, I think we had the puck about 18% all the time, so did you have a team like, was it was Kelowna that team that just used to take the boys from Kamloops to the woodshed? Yeah, that was certainly the bar, you know, they, for whatever reason I guess a bigger market, just by enough that they always seem to have the edge talent-wise, and uh, and that was, you know, if you were meeting them in the first round of the playoffs, you were meeting them somewhere toward the end. Alright, uh, off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell, back with Scott Housen, the president and CEO of the American Hockey League. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays
1: at noon on Oilers Radio 630 Chad.